by sharing with you two reasons why I really admire a woman named Vashti. We read about this particular lady in just two chapters of the Bible. We read about her in Esther chapter 1, and then in the first verse of Esther chapter 2. She, of course, is somewhat of an obscure individual, but I believe there's some great lessons that we can learn from her life. A little background information is in order. She was married to, as we would call him, Xerxes. We know him better by his Greek name than we do the name that's given here in Esther chapter 1. And for six months, Xerxes had thrown a party for all the aristocrats in the various provinces. And then he begins to really zero in on the local officials and for seven days, seven days, we would say they partied hardy. Then we pick up verse 10 of Esther chapter 1, and the Bible says the heart of the king was merry with wine. And as a result of that, the king made a proposal. And this proposal forced Vashti to the forks of a decision. And she made a decision that cost her her royalty. But in everything, she maintained her dignity. You know, I admire this woman deeply because, first of all, you know, she did not flaunt her beauty. And secondly, she was never concerned about what people might think or what people might say. So I want us to consider today two great facets of a woman named Vashti and then point out a couple of lessons that I believe we can learn from her life. Let's go to Esther chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. The Bible says, On the seventh day, that is of the special feast that Xerxes made for his local officials, when his heart was merry with wine, he commanded seven men, known in this passage as chamberlains or eunuchs, he commanded these seven men to bring Vashti the queen before the king with a crown royal to show the princes and the people her beauty, for she was fair to look upon. But the queen Vashti refused to come at the king's commandment by his chamberlains, therefore the king was very wroth, and his anger burned in him. Now I want you to notice first of all this morning that Queen Vashti was a woman that did not flaunt her beauty. She didn't size herself up. She did not measure her worth by what she looked like. And indeed, she was very blessed with physical features. In fact, the name Vashti itself means beautiful. The Holy Spirit tells us in verse 11 that she was fair to look upon. And I'm here to tell you the Holy Spirit is very careful not to say this about too many other people in the Bible. You'll find a similar terminology used in a description of David Absalom, Abigail, Vashti, and very few, if any others, in all of Scripture. 
I think that more more or less underscores the beauty of this lady. She was fair to look upon and her husband wanted to show her off. Verse 11 says his heart is heated with wine and he calls for the eunuchs to bring in Vashti so that she can show off her beauty. Now, there's a translation that's called the Targum. And that's a translation of various passages of the Old Testament into Aramaic. And the Targum adds the word naked in this particular passage. It's very likely that King Xerxes wanted to show off the most intimate features of his wife's beauty. And she refused. Whether she was asked to be indiscreet or whether she was asked to come and flaunt her beauty before these gawking individuals full of wine, we don't know. But we do know that she did not attach her self-worth to her beauty. And thus she refused the king's request. I admire that in her. But I want you to notice, secondly, I admire Vashti because this was a lady who was completely unconcerned about what people might think, about what people might say about the decisions that she made in life. Now, as we read the rest of this chapter, verses 13 through 22, you're not going to find Vashti making a retraction of her decision. You're not going to find one idea of regret whatsoever. But I'm going to tell you what you're going to find. You're going to find some very ugly things being said about this woman because of this one decision. Now in verse 13, the king said to the wise man, you know, these were the lawyers. These are the professional politicians who understood the times. Their names are mentioned. They're spoken of in verse 14 as those who saw the king's face. They sat first in the kingdom. These were members of his cabinet. And so the king calls together his cabinet and they are going to deliberate what to do over a very difficult situation. Now the question is posed in verse 15. What shall we do with Queen Vashti according to the law because she has not done the bidding of the king? What are we going to do about this situation? Well, one of his cabinet members stepped up and began to say some very negative and ugly things. And I want you to note what was said here. Note how people begin to think about Vashti simply because she would not flaunt her physical features. Well, the first thing that was said, you know, Vashti, she's not a very good wife. Vashti, she's not a very good queen. Vashti, she's a lousy first lady. In verse 16, And Mimikin answered before the king and the princes, and said, Vashti the queen hath not done wrong only to the king, but also to all the princes and to all the people that 
are in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus. She's hurt the king. She's brought shame upon her husband. She's brought shame upon the whole kingdom because of this one decision. Well, here's something else they were saying about Queen Vashti. You know, just think about what this is going to lead to. Now, how many times have we heard that before? How many times have decisions not been made because, you know, think of what this is going to lead to? How many times have we as parents chastised a son or a daughter because, you know, don't you know what this might lead to? Well, this is what people were saying about Vashti. If you look at verse 17, For the deed of the queen shall come abroad unto all the women, so that they shall despise their husbands in their eyes, when it's reported that the king Ahasuerus commanded Vashti the queen to be brought before him, and she came not. Likewise shall all the ladies of Persia and Medea say unto this day, Unto all the king's princes. Why, every one of the women that we know of in the province is here and in the province is there. You know, they're going to see Queen Vashti and what she did and they're going to follow suit. And this is going to set into motion full swing women's liberation. You know, just think about what this is going to lead to. And oh, they said some very ugly things about Queen Vashti. But notice verse 19. If it please the king, let there go forth a royal commandment from him and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes. And you'll recall the law of the Medes and the Persians could not be altered. And, you know, that's why Daniel was thrown into the den of lions. Let it be written among the law of the Medes and the Persians that it be not altered that Vashti come no more before King Ahasuerus, but let the king give her royal estate unto another that's better than she. Just divorce this woman. Do it publicly. Make an example of her in front of all the people. Just put her away. And the last thing that was said about this woman of dignity, you know, the king, he can do better than that. King Xerxes, he deserves better than that. Give her royal estate unto another that's better than she is. But you see, I admire her because her sense of value was not attached to her beauty. Her sense of value was not attached to what other people might say about her or what other people might think about her. Now, why did she do this? Why did she make this decision? I haven't the foggiest idea. Why did she make this difficult choice? I do not know. Someone may say, well, you know, she made this great decision because of her strong faith in God. Well, back up. The name Jehovah is nowhere to be found in the book of Esther. As a matter of fact, the word God is not to be found in the book of Esther. And if you really stop and think this through, Vashti 
was a Persian queen and most likely a polytheistic heathen who didn't even believe in the God of the Bible. So why did she do this? I do not know. But I admire her because she resisted two temptations that you and I constantly face in 2020. What do I look like and will I be like? And there are individuals today who measure their sense of worth by what I look like. And others measure their sense of worth or the worthiness of a decision they make by saying, will I be light? And these are two temptations that we face every day. And so I want us to learn a couple of lessons from Queen Vashti. Number one, we are valuable we are important, you are valuable, you are important, regardless of what we look like. Psychobabble? No, it's Scripture. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. God says you're valuable to me, not because of what you look like, not because of your physical features. You're valuable because of what you are like. And so in 1 Peter 3 and verse 3, we are to be people of chaste behavior, coupled with fear, whose outward adorning, let it not be the braiding of hair, the wearing of jewels of gold, or putting on of apparel. In other words, the focus is not to be on the outward man but on the incorruptible apparel of a quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God a great price. Priceless before God because of what I am like on the inside. It's the heart, not the physical features. Why is that so important, though, to note? You know, how many times... Have decisions been made by us because of, look what I look like? I think young people today are, are very susceptible to this. And young men, you know, they'll talk about bulging biceps and terrific triceps and protruding pectorals and abs that look like some kind of washboard. And, you know, he's blessed in all these ways as if that really makes him something. Of course, it manifests itself in somewhat of a different way with our young ladies because with them, in our culture, thin is in. And they'll submit themselves to a variety of eating disorders where they'll go on eating binges and purge their system through a variety of means so that they can maintain that girlish figure because isn't it that girlish figure that makes you worth something? And folks, what we've done is, is we have bought into that Hollywood hype, hook, line, and sinker. And that simply says that what you look like today proves your worth. Now, I want you to think with me this morning about two men in the Bible. 
The first is the greatest to ever live. I want you to take your Bibles today and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. Look together at verse 2. Let me say that Jesus Christ, and I'm speaking very respectfully this morning, Jesus Christ was not a man that was blessed with physical features. In point of fact, Jehovah saw to it that our Lord would not be blessed with physical features. It was done on purpose. Isaiah chapter 53 is predictive prophecy penned by Isaiah hundreds of years before Jesus Christ ever became flesh. And I want you to notice here what the prophet said about our Lord's physical features before He ever emptied Himself and took on the likeness of men. Verse 2 says, For He, Jesus, shall grow up before Him, that is God, as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. You know, when it gets August and September and it's so hot and you know, the droughts there. I think all of us understand what a root out of a dry ground looks like. In those very dry times, the roots of those trees, they come to the top of the ground and they're knurled and knotty. They're, they're protruding out of the ground and they're nothing to look at. God says in reference to the physical features of Jesus that He's like a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form or comeliness. To paraphrase that, He's not cut. He's not handsome. He's not something that physically is going to draw your eyes to Him. And the Bible says, and, and when we shall see Him, there's no beauty that we should desire Him. Jehovah made it a point that when Jesus was born of flesh, He was nothing to look at. Now, would you say that that took away from his worth as an individual? Who would dare say that about the Lord? Now, I want you to keep your finger there at Isaiah chapter 53, and I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 10 for another example. In my estimation, the second greatest man to ever live when you measure the individual by productivity is the Apostle Paul, who would say, you be an imitator of me, even as I also am an imitator of Christ. And I want you to note here what is said by the, about the Apostle Paul. Verse 10 says, for his letters they say, this is his enemy speaking here, his letters are weighty and powerful. Wow, this man Paul can write but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. You know, you pick up a book that Paul wrote and, and you think, man, this is one great individual. And then you hear that Paul is going to come to town to preach and man, I'm going to be there for that. I've read what this man wrote and I'm going to be there to hear from him and, and hear him preach and you go and you sit down in the audience and he mounts the podium and you're shocked. That's Paul? That man who's about to speak to us is Paul? And when you leave, you leave disappointed because 
He didn't measure up to your anticipation. Why? Nothing dynamic about the man whatsoever. Nothing to look at. Not a great orator at all. But the second greatest man to ever live when you think about being productive for God is this man. You know, a lot of churches today would never even have Paul come to preach for them. They wouldn't even have Paul to be their preacher because he would not be dynamic. He would not be entertaining like people want to be today. You see, I can be extremely valuable regardless of what I look like. And I think that's a good lesson for all of our young men and young women to remember. And hey, it's something also for us who are older to remember as well because we're plagued as older people with that same temptation as well. Are we not? You know, it disguises itself maybe in more streamlined and in more sophisticated fashions, but, you know, we'll use Grecian formula, you know, just for men, color, and, you know, we'll go to the hairdresser and only she's going to know about the hair color. Or you think about these hydrogenic creams that, when you use them for a week, they take away the wrinkles. They magically remove the age spots overnight. You know, why do we place so much emphasis on remaining young in the eyes of people? It literally is a multi-billion dollar business in our country. Not that there's anything wrong at all with coloring our hair. There's nothing wrong at all with trying to take away the age spots. I know about 15 or so years ago when the gray and the white began to really show on my head, my mom said, son, you need to go with a hair color. She said, you're going to get older. And people in our culture now, they're looking for younger people now. They want to hear and see the younger preachers. And it might be better on you if you color your hair. Well, I found a better way to take care of that. I'll just cut it off. She don't like that either, you know. But, uh, you know, there's an emphasis on looking young today. Why do we place so much emphasis on disguising age when the Bible places so much honor on age? Is it because that we as a people, regardless of age, have come to measure our worth by what we look like? Lesson number two, though, we can learn from Vashti that I am valuable no matter what anybody else says, no matter what anybody else may think. You know, I know about the church at Jerusalem and how they took their bread with gladness and singleness of heart, and they had favor, verse 47 of Acts 2 says, with all the people. But just keep reading. You go down to Acts chapter 8, and we read about the great persecution that arose upon the death of Stephen. And because of the persecution, they were forced to leave their homes. They were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Here in one instance, they're very popular. Here in another instance, they're very unpopular. Now, did they lose their value? Did they all of a sudden lose their sense of worth because... People started saying things and thinking things contrary of who they were. And young people today, it 
manifests itself in a desire to be popular. Measuring our sense of worth by, you know, how many parties we may get invited to, you know, how many people may clamor to be around me at school or to sit by me at the lunch table or, you know, how many times my picture appears in the yearbook or how many followers I have on social media. To those of us who are older, it may disguise itself in more sophisticated ways. We call it politics. We call it prestige. We call it posturing yourself. But you take away the facade and you get down to the raw truth. It comes out, I want people to like me. And you know I'll make decisions based upon that premise. Is this going to in any way infringe upon some imminent position? Is this going to have something to do at all in any way with my security? Now again, I want you to think about two people in the Bible that proves that this is not a criteria for self-worth. Let's start with the greatest man to ever live. I ask you to keep your finger at Isaiah 53 for a reason because in verses 3 and 4, the Bible goes on to tell us that not only was our Lord lacking in physical features, He was lacking in friends. He was not very popular in the final analysis of things. Look at verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from Him. He is despised and we esteemed Him not. You know, one thing that I've, I've observed in my many years of preaching is that when you address things sometimes that others may not want to hear, I found that there are certain individuals that step back in the shadows to kind of see what the fallout's going to be. And when they find out that the fallout is somewhat positive, they'll step out of the shadows again to your side. That's cowardice. But it's just individuals that are only concerned about whether or not they're going to be like. Our Lord was not concerned about that, folks. Over in Matthew chapter 15, the Lord had some very hard things to say. And the apostles came to Him. They, they said, don't you know that you offended the Pharisees? To which the Lord said, leave them alone. Does that sound like the words of a man who's concerned about whether or not he's going to be like? In, in Mark chapter 1, He has people flocking to Him. All are pursuing you. They're looking for you. But Jesus said, let's go to another town so I can preach there because that's what I've come for. You see, being liked by other people was not all that important to Jesus. So why should it be to you and to me? Or what about the Apostle Paul? He wrote in Galatians 1 and verse 10, For if I yet please men... I would not be the servant of Christ. Here are two great lessons that I need to learn and you need to learn. I am important regardless of what I look like and regardless of whether I am liked or not. And these two lessons stand on one basic principle. I have value today because 
of my relationship with God. You can take everything that I have away, but you cannot take away my sonship with God. You can think whatever you want to think about me, but I'm still His. You can attach a sense of worth to my physical features if you want to, but it matters not to me because I matter to God. See, it's our connection to God that makes us worth something in this life. Think about the greatest man to ever live. He said, I and my Father are one. Do you see why in spite of his physical features and in spite of his loss of popularity, why he could hold his head high and why he could march with a straight backbone and he could know I am worth something to this generation and to all generations to come because he knew he was connected with God. Or what about the Apostle Paul? He said in Philippians 1 verse 21, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Paul said, take it all away. It matters not to me because I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. I want you to listen very carefully this morning as I close out with this story. Legend has it that an Indian boy found an eagle's egg. And not being able to find the nest where it belonged, he took that eagle's egg and he placed it in the nest of a prairie chicken, allowing it to incubate with the other eggs in the nest of that prairie chicken. In time, as legend has it, the eagle and all the little prairie chickens hatched and they formed a strong bond as brothers and sisters and they grew up together in the chicken yard pecking for grubs. One day, this ominous shadow flew over the chicken coop and the eagle looked up and he saw something massive in the sky, a massive wingspan. What's that? He asked his prairie chicken brothers and sisters. They said, why, that's an eagle. One of the most magnificent creatures that God ever called into existence. And that eagle began to to stretch out its six feet wingspan and he began to stretch and he began to look up and to dream only for the prairie chickens to say, don't you ever think you could be something like that? And he folded his wings and he went back to pecking for grubs. You see, the next time you as a young lady are tempted to buy that scanty piece of clothing to show off your physical features and in your eyes be something because of what you look like. Or the next time you're tempted to place your eyes on pornography and in your mind fill it with shameful pictures of what somebody else looks like. The next time you're tempted to make a decision in life based upon what other people might say or what other people might think, I want you to envision a mighty eagle kicking up the dust with his mighty tones, dulling his beak, and pecking at gravel. We are somebody today because we are somebodies. 
And so I'm going to take care of my body as you will. We will adorn our bodies properly. We will make decisions today based upon the fact that we belong to God. We are His and no other value system. Today, if you want to belong to Him, if you truly want to be of worth to yourself and to this generation that we live in today. The invitation today is yours. If you're not a Christian, make that decision to obey the gospel. Demonstrate your faith by changing your life in repentance. Confessing Him as Lord. Be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. As a Christian, make sure that God's value system is yours. The invitation today is yours if you're subject to it. We ask that you come now while we stand.